right. Good morning, everybody. My name is Brent. I am one of the pastors here. It's good to see everybody uh, in the chairs. Uh, a lot more people this morning, and it's good to see that. And uh, today we're in First uh, Peter chapter 2, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12, so just a couple verses today. And uh, if you would, please stand uh, together for the reading of God's word, then we'll pray, and then we'll uh, get into today's teaching. <clears throat> Beloved, this is verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You may be seated. Let's uh, pray together. Father, this morning as we uh, come together and uh, see a baptism, it's such a joyful thing to see uh, new life in Christ and, and uh, see somebody uh, publicly uh, making a profession of faith. And so we uh, want to celebrate that this morning. And Father, we also want to uh, study your word. So we pray, God, that you would uh, open our ears, open our hearts, help us to receive the truth that uh, is given to us today in the scripture. I pray that you give me the ability to teach, give us all the ability to listen. Uh, bless us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't been with us, we've uh, been in a series in the book of 1 Peter, and uh, 1 Peter is a letter to a, a group of Christians living in the first century Roman world. And Peter addresses this letter to exiles. And when Peter uses the word exile, this is a metaphor, so he's not writing to literal exiles who've been banished from their homeland. He's talking here metaphorically. And uh, metaphorically, not only of them, but all Christians in the world. If you're a Christian here today, you're an exile in the world. What that means is that no matter where you live, whether it's Batesville or Cave City or uh, Southside, uh, although you may have an address in this world and neighbors in this world, you may own a home in this world, your citizenship is somewhere else if you're a Christian, your values come from somewhere else, your identity is from somewhere else. You're an exile. And so uh, the question Peter is answering is, how shall we then live? If we are exiles in the world, if this place is not our true home, how do we live? How do we approach life? And Peter has been saying that uh, if, if you are an exile in the world, there are certain things that just mark you. And so uh, he says in chapter 1 that exiles are marked by a living hope. So as exiles, we are to be people that exhibit a hope in the world and for the world. Um, as exiles, we also are to be people of holiness, he said. So he says, uh, as exiles, just as your God is holy, so you also should be holy in all of your conduct. He also uh, went on to say that exiles should be marked by love. So love is just not one of the marks, but it is the mark of an exile in the world. So we should be people of brotherly love, Peter said. And this week, uh, Peter gives us another mark of an exile. He says, uh, if you are in exile, here's another thing that, that we're going to talk about that should mark you in this world. You should be known as people who abstain from what he calls fleshly lust. So abstinence, uh, abstaining from. So uh, Christians are people that not only do things, uh, Christians are also people that refrain from doing things. We abstain from things uh, that Peter calls a fleshly lust. So 
The people that, that uh, Peter was writing to, they lived in the Roman world, and the Roman world is notorious for being a decadent and uh, self-gratification kind of a culture. So uh, it was very tolerant, you know, whatever feels right to you, you just go ahead and do it. Uh, there were little pockets of people that were into self-denial, but by and large, this was a culture where people were just indulging the flesh. Does that sound familiar at all? I think we live very much in a culture that is a you-do-you culture. If it feels good, do it. If you want to do it, do it. Whatever is right for you, go ahead and do that. Who are we to judge what you engage in, especially in your private life? Uh, our culture is very similar. And so the question is, how do we abstain in a culture like ours? In a culture of self-gratification, how do we live as people of self-denial? And if you're ever going to deny yourself, what you need is an argument. Abstinence requires an argument. Um, my, my wife has all kinds of food allergies, and so uh, she has to abstain from all sorts of food. Some of you are like this, too. And it's really hard, especially when we're out at dinner and everybody else is partaking, everybody else is eating good things, and, you know, Anita's got to say no to all sorts of food. And what does she need in that moment? She needs to argue with herself. Why am I doing this again, and why am I saying no, and why can't I eat this? And, and she remembers and she reminds herself of why she's saying no. I've experienced this. So uh, years back, I decided that I was going to say no to donuts, uh, and so I, I made the mistake of publicly announcing this from the pulpit, and so one of the small groups, uh, very, in a very cruel way, I think, on Sunday morning, uh, they have a small group that meets in the office, and they would leave the leftover donuts in the office, right in the front, and so every time I walked by the donuts, I just had to, I had to argue with myself, who I wanted them, but I just, why am I saying no, and I would... These are little devil cakes is what they are, you know, and I had to remind myself of why I'm saying no. Abstinence always requires an argument, and that's what Peter gives us in this passage. Peter doesn't just say abstain, he tells us why we should abstain. As Christians, you should live lives of self-denial, do not partake in flesh to lust, but let me give you an argument, let me tell you why. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Let me uh, go through today three reasons why we should abstain from sin. Peter doesn't just say no. He gives us three reasons why we should say no. And here's the first reason. Peter says the, the first reason why you should abstain from fleshly lusts is because of what fleshly lusts do to you. Uh, the, 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 he says, the reason why you should say no to these things is because, first and foremost, what they do to the person that indulges in them. When you engage in fleshly lust, it does damage to yourself. So Peter says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against the soul. And so we need to ask, what is a fleshly lust? Uh, they, they do damage to us. And so what is a fleshly lust? Well, fleshly lust is not just a natural bodily appetite. A lot of people think that Christians are just people that say no to pleasure. That, you know, we're somehow against the body and against the natural urges. And so we're denying ourselves pleasure. Uh, that we somehow have an aversion to the joys and good things in the world. This is not the case. Uh, just think about it. God created your body. God created bodily pleasure. God created the, the world such that you could experience bodily pleasure. 
And so just normal, natural, bodily pleasures are not bad. God is not calling us to be masochists. You know, a lot of times people refer to that old uh, commercial, I forget what it was for, but it, it said if, it's, if, it's, if it tastes good, it has to be bad for you. And a lot of people think that's how Christians, uh, that's what we believe. It, if it feels good, if it's pleasurable, well, then it's bad and we should stay away from it. I admit that there were some uh, monks and early Christ Christians that were into asceticism where they denied themselves all sorts of bodily pleasures. I think that's unhealthy. And that's not what Peter's calling us to here. He's saying not just that you should avoid bodily pleasures. He's saying avoid fleshly lusts. And there's a difference. A fleshly lust is not a good bodily pleasure. It's a distortion of a good bodily pleasure. And that's what sin is. Did you know that? Sin is always a distortion of an originally good pleasure. So, for example, sex is good within marriage. Lust is a distortion of that God-given pleasure. Anger is a, is, is, is a natural good thing. Righteous indignation and anger is something that God actually commands us to have. But then brutal and violent anger is a distortion of that original good desire. Comfort is a good thing. In fact, in the Old Testament, God gives, a day, gives us a day of rest, you know, to uh, relax and enjoy ourselves. But laziness is a distortion of that original good desire. And so what Peter is saying here is not just stay away from, from your bodily desires as if the body was bad, but stay away from these distortions. The book of Galatians gives us a list of the distortions. So this is Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Peter says this, or uh, Paul says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, which could be translated as abuse of substances, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. These are all the things that Peter is talking about. And it's not just sexuality or uh, alcohol or substance abuse. This has to do with gossip and slander and violence and all sorts of bad things. Peter says, stay away from these things because, notice, what do they do? These things wage war against your soul. Normal, natural desires are good for your soul. A Sabbath is good for your soul. Righteous indignation is good for your soul. What's bad for your soul is when these things are distorted. Every time you say yes to a fleshly lust, Peter says, you wage war against your own soul. Now, notice he says soul here and not just your body. There are certain sins that do damage to your body. You know, alcoholism can do damage to your liver. Uh, anger can give you high blood pressure. I mean, there are certain sins that are bad for your body. But notice he says there's a greater danger here. Every time you give in to a fleshly lust, you're doing damage to your soul. What is your soul? Your soul is that core central part of you that is your true self. Your soul is the part of you that will go on into eternity. The soul is the part of you that you should be cultivating. And what Peter says is when you give in to these fleshly lusts, the reason why you should stay away from them is because they do damage to your soul. I love what John Calvin says. He says, while we anxiously shun enemies from whom we apprehend danger to the body, we willingly allow enemies hurtful to the soul to destroy us. Nay, we as, as it were stretch forth our neck to them 
For many of us, we'd never do something that was bad for our body. You know, maybe you watch the way you eat and you, you exercise and you're really careful with your body. Are you the, that careful with your soul? Your eternal soul, the core part of who you are. Peter is saying, hey, I want you to abstain from these things because of what they do to you, your eternal self, the part of you that's going to last forever. Now, somebody says, uh, you know, this, they do damage to my soul. I don't know that they're that dangerous. You know, many of us might, you know, we might look at a sin like gossip. And we think, oh, that's so innocuous. That's so harmless. I mean, just giving into gossip, what's the big deal? Peter says, every time you gossip, you, da- gossip, you damage something inside of you. Or you might say, oh, it's a little lust. What's the big deal? It's no problem. It's done. It's over with. Peter says, every decision you make to do that does subtle damage to the core part of who you are. C.S. Lewis has has a quote where he says this. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. You are slowly turning the central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature, your soul. Peter's saying, be careful. These little decisions that you make to engage in gossip or to give in to bitterness or anger and unforgiveness, yeah, they feel good in the moment, but what are they doing to your soul? And as Jesus says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Peter's saying, every time you make a decision to sin, you're exchanging something. You're, You're getting that temporal pleasure of gossip or lust or whatever it is, but what are you giving in exchange for that? What you're giving away is much more valuable than what you're getting. That's a bad exchange. Peter is saying, I want you to say no. And notice he says, I beg you to say no. Not just I command you. He says, oh, I'm urging you, and I'm begging you to say no because think about you. Think about your soul. Think about your eternal self. He said it may seem innocuous and and harmless, but he says every decision that you make, as C.S. Lewis says, is changing the central part of you for the better or for the worse. And so Peter says, number one, I want you to stay away because of what fleshly lusts do to you. Well, secondly, he says there's another reason why I want you to say no. Remember, you've got to argue with yourself especially as whatever lust that is attractive to you is presenting itself. You've got to argue with yourself. Why do I need to say no? Why should I abstain? Why should I turn off the computer? Why should I shut my mouth right now? Here's another reason why. Not only because of what they do to you, but also because of what fleshly lusts do to the outsiders. Notice he, he goes on in verse 12, and he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So notice what Peter does here. He connects your, your inward fleshly lust to your outward visible conduct. He says, what you do in your private life will come out in your observable conduct. The decisions you make to say yes or no to your grat- your your fleshly lust are going to show up in your outward observable behavior. In other words, when you make a decision on the inside to give in to lust, it always comes out. So a thought, reap an action. 
So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a lifestyle. And Peter is saying, I want you to abstain from fleshly lust because of what it does to your observable conduct. He says, keep your, your conduct honorable among the Gentiles so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. Here's why your observable conduct is so important. is because people who are on the outside, outside observe your life. When Peter uses the word Gentile here, he's, this is code for outsider, for unbeliever, somebody who's investigating the Christian faith. And he's saying, when you make your personal private decisions, they're actually affecting these people. Because here's the deal. You might say, well, okay, whatever. I'm giving into these fleshly lusts. They do damage to my soul. But it's my soul. It's my business. What's it to you if I damage my soul? And Peter says, here's what it is to me when you damage your soul. When you damage your soul, you're actually creating habits and lifestyles that are, are then observed by outsiders. And they make decisions about God and Jesus based on the way you live. And so Peter says, you need to know what's at stake when you're sitting there and you're making that little choice. Nobody sins in a vacuum. Your sin always affects, your personal decisions always affect other people. There's eyes watching you, eyes that are making decisions about Jesus. I love what the uh, 19th century uh, Scottish preacher said. His name is Alexander McLaren. This is what he said. The world takes its notions of God, most of all, from the people who say that they belong to God's family. They read us a great deal more than they read the Bible. So people are reading your life. And the small decisions you make in private are going out in public, and people are making decisions based on that. What are people reading? All of us are representatives of Jesus Christ. In fact, earlier on in the passage, Peter says that we are all a kingdom of priests. Can we all say kingdom of priests together? That's what we are. A priest is somebody who represents God to the world. And all of us are priests. All of us represent God to the world. And this is why it's so crucial that you abstain. In the early church, what was so interesting is that it was a culture that was decadent and self-gratification oriented, and they were promiscuous with their bodies, and they were stingy with their money. The Christians came along, and they were promiscuous with their money, and they were stingy with their bodies. And it made a difference to the way people thought about the Christian church. Because it matters to outsiders when you give in to your fleshly lusts, because we need to be different. We are representing God to other people. And some people cry when you don't do a good job of that. I was, uh, years ago, I was, uh, we were, I was out, you know, coming home to my house. And in our house, our, our front grass is a little bit too long. And I should probably cut it more often. But this particular day, we had let the grass grow. And so I was pulled into my driveway. I was going into the house. And my neighbor wanted to talk to me about my grass. And so he called me over, and I went over, and I, I started talking to this guy, and he started to confront me on my grass. He said, it's too long, and by the way, your kids are going on my lawn, and they need to stop that. And I started to get a little bit angry. And it wasn't like the good sort of anger. This was the inordinate anger. This was the fleshly less kind of anger. And I started, you know, the kind of anger where your voice raises, and you start shaking, and you start saying things. 
that you regret later on? It was that sort of thing. And so me and my neighbor, we were locked in this argument, and our voices were raising. And I started to get a little bit, you know, in, in that place where I was saying things that I would regret. And finally, thankfully, I cut that off before it went way too far. I was huffing back into my house, and a little girl across the street, the family actually goes to our church. Uh, they don't live there anymore. But she looked over, and she said, hi, Pastor Brent. And I remembered in that moment that my decision to give in to my lust of anger affected somebody watching, little eyes. Peter Peter says, you need to know that your decision to say no to fleshly lust is affecting your conduct. And he says, your conduct among the Gentiles needs to be honorable. I love the word honorable there. It literally in the Greek means beautiful. Here's what Peter is saying. He's saying, I want you to live a beautiful life. I want you to live a beautiful, compelling life. The only way you're going to do that is when you cultivate your soul on the inside. Then it works its way out. But you need to do this because people are watching you. Later on, Peter's going to go on, and he's going to talk about the way Christians act uh, in relation to the civil government and politics and how Christians should relate at their workplaces and how Christians relate and should relate in their marriages. And some of you are married to outsiders. Some of, many of you, probably most of you, work with people that don't know Jesus. All of us engage in politics with peop- on Facebook with people who don't know Jesus all around watching what we do. Peter says, I want you to control your lusts. Because what these people need to see is a beautiful life. So that he says, on the day of visitation, they might see your beautiful deeds and glorify God who is in heaven. He says, don't you see that when you, when you gratify these lusts, you're actually damaging your mission in the world. We need to care about outsiders. We want them to believe in Jesus. On the day of visitation, we want them to be those that confess Jesus and, and fleshly lusts cut against that crucial mission. The small little desires that we have, the decisions that we make, are so crucial because what's at stake is the mission of God and what the non-believing world sees when they look at us. So he says no. Don't, he says say no because of what fleshly lusts do to you. They, they wage war on the soul, the most important part of you. They are not innocuous. They are, every decision you make is doing something to you. Also because of what they do to outsiders. The small decisions you make, they affect other people on the outside. It matters how the outside world views the Christian church. When you give in, it damages your witness. But then there's a third reason that Peter gives here. And that is what fleshly lusts do to God. So notice he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What Peter says here is that you should say no because of of, of how your fleshly lusts affect God. Notice at the very beginning, Peter uses a little word. He says, beloved. He reminds these people that they're loved. And that's important. He says, I want you to abstain because you are loved. Who loves them? Well, Peter loves them. He started this church. He's their pastor. They are his sheep. Peter's saying, I care about your soul. 
I care about your mission. So abstain because you're loved by me. I love you, that's why I'm giving you this command. But far more than Peter loving them, he, when he calls them beloved, he's trying to show them that God loves them. This command is built on the reality that they are loved. The reason why you should say no is because you are so loved by your, by your God. God cares about their soul infinitely more than Peter does. God is invested in you. God cares about you. Your soul is invaluable to him. That's why he cares that you abstain. Peter builds this, builds this command on the previous verses, which is often true in the Bible, that commands are built on what, what comes before. And right before these verses, Peter has been reminding these people of their identity. He says, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're God's own special people. You once were not a people, but now you are a people. You once had not received mercy, but now you are the object of, objects of God's mercy. You are loved by God. And because God, because God loves you, you should abstain. The greatest love, uh, the greatest motivation uh, to abstain from fleshly lust is the motivation of God's love for you. Because you are God's people. Because you belong to God. Your soul belongs to God. There's a story of a little boy who uh, built a little ship. And he went down to the river and he, and he floated this little ship down the stream. And the stream began to take it too, too far away from him and he lost it. It was picked up by a shop, shopkeeper who fixed it up and put it in the window of his store. The little boy was walking down the store and he saw his ship in the window. And so he goes inside and he goes up to the owner of the shop and he says, that's my ship, I built it, can you, get, can you give it back to me? And he says, sorry, you, you must have lost it, you've got to buy it now. And so the boy went home, very sad of course, but he, he, he got some odd jobs and he made enough money to buy his little boat. So he went back to the store, he paid the money, and he bought the little ship. As he walked out of the store, he looked at the, the little ship, and he says, you are mine. You are twice mine. I created you, and I purchased you. And you are twice God's. You are God's. You are twice God's. He created you, and he purchased you by the blood of his only son. He created you. He knows your potential. He knows your purpose in this life, and he loves you. And he purchased you with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And Peter says, don't you know that? Don't you know that your soul is incredibly valuable? When you say no to fleshly lust, you do it because you are God's people, deeply loved by him. So it's God's mercy and God's grace which motivates us to say no to sin. I love in um, Les Miserables. Anybody seen Les Miserables? Read the book? Anybody read the book? A couple people. There's a scene in that book where Jean Valjean, he's the main character, he's a convict, he's on the run, and he shows up at the house of a priest, and he's looking for food. He, he, needs, he needs to eat. And the, the kindly priest invites him into his home, shares a meal with him, and invites him to stay for the night. As Jean Valjean is sitting at his table, he notices behind the priest that there's 
silver china in the kitchen. And he makes the decision, I'm going to steal that tonight. So when everybody's asleep in bed, the criminal gets up, puts all the silver in a bag and runs off. And he's caught by the police and he's brought back to the priest. And they knock on the priest's door and say, hey, did you, did you miss this? Look, we, we found your silver. And the priest, the priest looks at him and says, no, he didn't take that. I gave that to him as a gift. He says, in fact, John Valjean, you forgot something. You forgot the candlesticks. So he goes and he gets the candlesticks and he gives it to John Valjean. And the police are like, well, he didn't steal these? He says, no. And so they leave. And when they're gone, the priest looks at Jean Valjean and he says something really good. This is a quote from the movie. He says, Jean Valjean, you are no longer the man who knocked on my door yesterday. A sinner, a stranger, stepped across my threshold yesterday. Before me now stands my brother in Christ. You are changed. You are purified. With these candlesticks, I buy back your soul. And as often as you look at them, you must remember this day. You must spend the rest of your life doing good, as Christ our Lord did good. He's saying, I purchased you with my grace. The mercy that I've shown you puts an obligation on you. And Peter is saying something similar in this passage. He's saying, you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are no longer strangers or aliens in the world. You are loved by God. He's got a purpose for your life. Your soul is invaluable to him. And so be careful what you do with it. And say no to fleshly lusts. So th there's the argument uh, in these little verses here. He says, I want you to say no in a culture of decadence. I want you to be people of self-denial because of what fleshly lusts do to you, because, they, because of what they do to outsiders, and finally, because of what they do to God. I want to ask a question as we end here, and that is this. What do you need to say no to today? What fleshly lust are you letting into your life? What thing that do you think is just a simple, non-dangerous, little naughty pleasure that, that is actually destroying your soul? What do you need to say no to today? And then I want to remind you that you are loved. I mean, the reason why you say no is not to get God to love you. God already loves you. And because you are so loved, Peter says, I want you to abstain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this passage about uh, abstinence, about self-denial, about people who are able to say no. And God, I pray that you'd give us the power to do that, Lord. I pray that as we uh, go out our lives this week, I pray that you would give us the wherewithal to uh, just argue with ourselves and to remind ourselves of who we are, that we are loved people and of, of what fleshly lusts really are. They're, they're not harmless, they're dangerous. They're distortions of originally good desires and I pray that you would remind us of our witness. Help us, God, to live beautiful lives. Lord, we pray that our internal decisions would flow out of our lives and make our witness credible and compelling. We pray that you do this in us. In, in, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to take communion. And communion is, is important to do because when we do this, we remind ourselves of the love that God has for us. Uh, many of us might have uh, given into a fleshly lust this week. And in communion, we remind ourselves that God forgives us. 
The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sin, purifies us, makes us brand new. And so uh, this morning, let's remember the love that Jesus has for us. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake. In the same way, uh, he took the cup and he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for the remission of your sins, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We were redeemed not by incorruptible things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let's remind ourselves of our redemption. Father, we thank you so much for redeeming us. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you for making us a people. God, we thank you that our souls are precious to you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us the power and strength to say no to the things that might damage us. Lord, strengthen us, empower us, fill us with your love. And help us to live differently, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and respond with me today? Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall.
Cause Jesus, you're my hope.